0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for Taiwan This Week.
1: Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me your host Gavin Phipps and I'm joined this evening by Angelica Ong of the Taipei Times. Hello, hello everybody. And Taipei-based freelance reporter Ralph Jennings. Hi Gavin, good to be here again. And we'll begin with a hot topic of conversation here in Taiwan this week, that being events in Kabul and claims that Taiwan could become the next Afghanistan because the United States could choose to abandon the island if push comes to shove. The back and forth began after China's warmongering mouthpiece, the Global Times, opted to run several articles on the matter, one of which read, US treachery in Afghanistan should be seen as a warning for Taiwan's secessionists, that is, its government and the entire Democratic Progressive Party. And it went on to say that the failure of the US in Afghanistan should serve as a warning to the secessionists who have to understand that they cannot count on Washington as Afghanistan is not the first place the US has abandoned basically, and left its allies, is what the Global Times point was there trying to make. And the Global Times also laid out six reasons why it claims the US is doomed to eventually abandon Taiwan, and some of them being that there's no official document in the United States that requires it to send troops to defend the island. Secondly, that China is a nuclear power with full preparedness for an offshore military struggle. And it also said the DPP authorities are weaker and less motivated. Then the KMT, that's hinting at that, and also says, basically, the US abandonment of Taiwan will be a move that acknowledges the change in power between China and America. Anyway, the KMT here in Taiwan also weighed in, saying that the US's withdrawal from Afghanistan shows that its long adhered to policy of seeking close ties with America while also maintaining peace with China is the only way to ensure a stable cross-strait situation. While the DPP accused the KMT of seeking to damage Taiwan's diplomatic ties with America with remarks by KMT members, who the DPP says have sought to disparage the US's role in Afghanistan and its troop withdrawal from the country. Now, President Tsai went wen the need for Taiwan to be stronger and more united to ensure the island is able to defend itself against possible military conflict. And according to Tsai, Taiwan will protect itself by being more determined. Now, Premier Su-Jung Chung told reporters that Taiwan will not collapse like Afghanistan and Beijing should not be deluded into thinking it can easily take the island. While US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan reaffirmed Washington's commitment to Taiwan, saying the White House believes commitments to all its allies and partners are are sacrosanct and also believes that its commitments to Taiwan remain as strong as they've ever been. Sullivan also rejected arguments that draw potential parallels between Afghanistan and Taiwan, saying that when it comes to Taiwan, it's a fundamentally different question in a fundamentally different context. So, Ralph, I mean, parallels between Taiwan and Afghanistan and US support?
0: Yeah, I would... I understand the metaphor. You know, you have um, US support and US support leaves, and then all of a sudden... You know, the opposition takes over. So there's a very kind of skeletal metaphor at work there. So I guess that's where this whole speculation came from. But I would draw most of my attention to the comment you just raised that the two places are fundamentally different. So let's look at Afghanistan. We have a, a very active and longstanding resistance, that being the Taliban. We have the U.S. actually being there. They have troops and they have stuff in Afghanistan to help. The government that was <clears throat> now Taiwan, the U.S. is not really there in a military form. The um, you know the opposition, if, if you want to look at China, if that's our opposition, then you know they're not really in Taiwan. Sorry, they're still offshore. So um, the comparison starts just starts to break down from there. And I would also mention that the Global Times is not the most sober and credible media outlet out of China, even among the English-language outlets that you can choose from. It's not Xinhua. It's not the voice of the government. It has approval from the government to say these things, but it would be different if that was coming from somebody in the foreign ministry of China or somebody even higher than that.
2: Well, I just think it's completely ridiculous. It's immature bedwetting and with no understanding of what geopolitics means. Taiwan is actually, if anything, safer because a withdrawal from Afghanistan is pretty much uh, clearly in line with Joe Biden's policy of focusing um, on China and containing China and bringing the U.S. military focus to the Pacific theater rather than um, being diverted in Afghanistan. And uh, frankly, I feel really terrible for the people of of Afghanistan. Um but the US has been 20 there for 20 years and that time a credible government that stands on its own two feet has not emerged. Um and therefore I think US withdrawal from there it's not um a betrayal, it's not letting down allies. It's simply um recognizing uh that we've accomplished our mission which is to go in and uh Uh, take out al Qaeda and uh, it's long past time to leave and um, I believe that the US could have left in a more dignified a more orderly manner but uh, leaving Afghanistan has nothing to do with Taiwan whatsoever Uh, in fact if anything I would say Taiwan is safer now than it was before because uh, uh, while the US withdrew afghanistan is um china's back doors so now um it's kind of a china and russia's problem
1: and what about the comments about the from the kmt and the dpp accusing the kmt angelica of disparaging the u.s's role in afghanistan and also seeking to damage taiwan's diplomatic ties with washington
2: Uh, I, i feel very disappointed by um the kmt response because uh it's it feels like it could have been a real moment for, for unity. And instead, it was used um, as another partisan point to try and, um, you know, punch their uh, domestic political foe instead of realizing, as, as Tai Ing-wen did in her excellent, excellent remarks with regards to the situation that this is a time for unity. And when we, of course, we're a democracy and, uh, you know, be, sort of uh, t- attacking the other political party, that's part of our process. But when we are facing an external threat, what we should do as Taiwanese is to be united. And in her um, Facebook post, she very actively harked back to the Battle of Kinsmen. Uh, almost 63 years ago, in uh, August. Um, so that, that, that anniversary is um, I, either coming up or just passed. I'm not sure. But that is a victory by K, led by KMT with Taiwanese troops that held off the Chinese in Jinmen. And by harking back to that history, she's transcending partisanship. She's saying, we, the Taiwanese, we're going to stand on our own two feet and we're going to be strong militarily in holding back the chinese and sure we'll have allies we'll have lots of allies and they will help us because we are an important part of the international community um but it's uh, it's it's not about um, uh, waiting for the u.s to come to our rescue it's about being um prepared to be on a war footing, to stand up to China, and the opposite of the K- the KMT message,
1: actually. And Ralph, I mean, Zhao Xiao kang came out and said, basically Afghanistan should be a lesson for Taiwan, whereas other KMT members sort of did sort of question the withdrawal from Afghanistan by the US forces. I mean, do you think these comments are being watched in Washington?
0: No, I don't think they're really appropriate. I agree with Angelica. The opposition party is just claiming the the dominant party, the governing party, because they can, because it's part of the democracy, because it's, you know, a moment of opportunity for them. I think that, if anything, Taiwan may be, I don't know if I would say safer, but I think that the, a couple of things, the withdrawal from Afghanistan responds to many calls from the American public, which I can say sitting here on U.S. soil, or U.S. landfill, as it were here in Alameda, that um, the... Um, public just wanted them to go. And finally, we have a president that said, let's go. It's early in his term. It's easy for him to absorb the backlash that's that's taking place now. By the time any re-election comes up, people will sort of got, moved on. Um, and I think that we can see also from Biden's policy so far that he cares a lot about the Indo-Pacific. So whether that's Taiwan or whether that's Southeast Asia, South China Sea, Korea, Japan, I think will see a shifting of resources to to that region um, rather than f- focusing on Central Asia and the Middle East, which have just wiped out the American public. So Taiwan could, be, could benefit from possibly a few more ship passages through the Taiwan Strait, perhaps some, you know, not just military, but extra-military stuff like dialogue, things like the Shangri-La dialogue that comes up every year or that's supposed to come up every year. The U.S. will say more, uh, do more in terms of aligning its allies, at least verbally, to support U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific and in East Asia. So Taiwan, by and large, will, will benefit from that.
1: Moving on now in the Food and Drug Administration this week rejected a request by local drug maker, United Biomedical, for emergency use authorisation for its coronavirus vaccine. The local drug maker is describing the rejection as regrettable and says it plans to appeal the FDA's decision. And it's also questioning the FDA's standards for EUAs, as according to Biomedical, the EUA standard only considers virus neutralising antibodies or GMTs in assessing how effective a vaccine candidate might be, but it believes the reaction of T-cells should also be part of that equation. The company is also calling on the FDA to compare its vaccine's effectiveness against the Delta variant of the coronavirus with that of the AstraZeneca vaccine, given that the variant is currently the most transmissible and contagious virus in the world. And United Biomedical also says that only by doing that can its vaccine's efficiency be evaluated more objectively. Now, the FDA says it respects the company's right to file the appeal and says it will review that decision when the appeal is made now the FDA has said that it rejected United Biomedical's request for an EUA for its coronavirus vaccine after a majority of experts voted not to grant approval to the UB612 vaccine because basically it failed to meet their standards so Angelica of course United Biomedical they're rejecting the EUA good news bad news or you know maybe bit of both
2: well I think it shows that the system is working and of course Well, I would prefer that we have two viable domestic vaccines going forward. Uh, What I think is more important is that um, the system is correctly sorting out which vaccines are um, worthy of the EUA, which uh, in the perfect world, we wouldn't have this process. We wouldn't need EUAs. We would be able to go through the full phase three process and Uh, adequately um, assess uh, the success or lack thereof of the vaccine before we're putting it into people's arms. Uh, The EUA is necessary uh, because uh, the coronavirus is such an emergency, and luckily we have Medigen, one domestic uh, vaccine that has passed the process with flying colors. And what I would say is um, I hope that this other vaccine um, will continue to um, go through the process of its appeal. And uh, we shall see um, whether um, uh, they will pass on the next round.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's so urgent for Taiwan to have multiple locally produced, locally engineered vaccines, certainly it makes taiwan look good it gives the it gives the government face and the biotech industry some face it gives of course the public more options of what to take um, but the fact is we're in well into our second year of the coronavirus there are a lot of other vaccines out there on the international market i think the government should continue to do what it's doing which is to secure more of those they're being made in bulk and the there's the supply chain the shipping Options and cold storage and all that has been pretty well perfected, Um, even though it's not perfect. It's been refined, I should say, to a point where you can get it and it's pretty reliable. Um, I suppose if the epidemic goes on and on and on and on into next year and beyond that, it would be more than wise to have one's own vaccine. Um, But I still don't think at this point it's in a big hurry. I think the test should. Take their course, make sure that they, things do work, and l- let's not have any more panicky moments like May 15th where we suddenly have a spike in cases, we don't have anything, and we somehow become desperate and start grabbing at whatever we do have. So testing is good.
1: And of course, Ralph, the government did plan to buy five million doses of the vaccine off United Biomedical. So do you think that United Biomedical's failure to get an EUA puts a sort of a a large hole in the government's vaccine purchasing program?
0: Mm, It's hard to know whether they have a backup plan or not. It's the government. I think they've been, you know, they've smartened up quite a bit in the past few months because they got caught short in May and June without much vaccine at all. So they probably have something in reserve, but they know how to get it. And perhaps they can ask Medigen to produce more or they, they can get some more AZ doses from offshore. I'm sure they, they know what's going on now and they, they're going to have backup plans and backups for the backups.
1: I hope they do. Angelica, I mean, a hole in the vaccine system or backups for backups?
2: I think it's more important to have the right vaccines. And I'm sure that... Uh, We'd rather have um, trust in the government and trust in what's in the process and what's going into our arms than it is to have a vaccine slightly earlier. Uh, I totally agree with Valve. Um, We have reached that point where um, enough of the population has been uh, vaccinated and enough stock is either on the way or purchased or um, at least in the pipeline that I think we can make up for the difference of 5 million doses fairly easily, either in the international market or by um, asking Medigen to double down on their production.
1: And talking of Medigen, President Tsai Ing-wen will be getting her first shot of the Medigen coronavirus vaccine next Monday, the same day that the locally manufactured vaccine will be first administered. Tsai, of course, made an appointment several weeks ago for the vaccine via the government's online platform. And the presidential office has said that her staff will be planning the inoculation route at the vaccination site in accordance with security and anti-coronavirus protocols in order to avoid inconveniencing other people who are getting inoculated at the same place on the same day. Now, Vice President William Lai had originally said he was going to wait for the United Biomedical jab, but, of course, now that's gone by the wayside, and he now says he'll be registering for a Medigen shot soon. Meanwhile, Health Minister Chen Shijong on Tuesday announced that over 390,000 people have made appointments to receive the Medigen coronavirus vaccine jab. Now, originally, those eligible for the jab were people aged 36 and over, or those aged 20 to 25 who suffer from rare or serious illnesses or injuries who previously indicated their willingness to get the Medigen jab on the government's vaccination appointment website. However, on Wednesday of this week, the Central Epidemic Command Centre announced that the current round of bookings for the Medigen vaccine were being expanded to include everyone registered in the 20 to 35 age group. Now, the shots will be administered next week from Monday through Sunday, and a total of 614,204 doses of the Medigen vaccine have so far passed inspection by the Food and Drug Administration. Now, in more statistics, According to the Epidemic Command Centre, prior to the expansion of the eligible age group, some 419,000 people of the 605,359 who had registered for the latest round had selected Medigen as one of their choices. And officials say the expansion of the age group to include all registrants aged between 20 and 35 means that an additional 298,000 people will be eligible to receive the Medigen jab for next Monday. Now, the Epidemic Command Centre says that over 160,000 people in that age group have signed up for the many gen jab already. So, Angelica, expanding the age group, expanding the amount of people that can be vaccinated, good idea. But of course, there's been naysayers here this week who have said, Well, this is the you're treating the young people like guinea pigs, opening it up to them because you don't have the international ones coming at the moment. So, you're <laughs> using the local people as guinea pigs for the many gen one. What do you say to those arguments?
2: I uh, I think this is absolute nonsense. I've even heard this uh, um meme going around this lying group that the government are going to uh administer the metagen by force using blow darts, which started off as a um joke and people actually believed it, then it became a meme and uh all I can say is uh, you know, um I I think it's it's delightful that young people are um am going to have a, a vaccine available to them. And from what I've heard, people are um, excited about it. People are, um, and I personally, I already received one dose of Moderna um, as a part of uh, this report program for reporters. But um, if, if I haven't, I'd gladly stick my arm out for the Medigen. I think the phase two um, trials uh, is, Data came out. It's it's great, Um, and there's just no reason to think that it is lesser than um, the international, uh, international vaccines.
1: But of course, other people have been saying, Angelica, that oh, you're you're opening it up to more young people because so few people want to actually get the Medigen vaccine.
2: Well, yeah, because a lot of people have are are completely irrational and are against Medigen. Um, for political reasons, and um, uh, remember what I said about the blow dart and the mandatory uh, inoculation um, that 's a kind of that 's a level of logic and reasoning that is going around people who have management fear and <laughs> the i i so in that case, if those old people who, um, on their line groups passing conspiracy theories about get, getting um, you know, inoculated by blood arts on the streets, uh, don't want it, let the young people have it. Let them sign up. Let, and they're, they sound to me like very willing guinea pigs because they are aware of the danger um, of the Delta variant coming to Taiwan. And I think the more shops we have in arms, young, old, it doesn't matter. Because let's say you have a young person who gets this, uh, Delta variant, which already is more dangerous, even for young people. It's not about how sick they get. It's about how they're able to pass on the vaccine, uh, the, the virus to others. And um, uh, I don't know uh, if you've been paying attention uh, around the globe, but we have countries that have held down the uh, virus very well uh, throughout 2020, dropping like flies because of the Delta variant. And Vietnam, I think, is the saddest case. They did such a good job. But uh, with the Delta variant and its higher transmissibility, they just haven't had a chance. And we're seeing the kind of uh, spike in uh, rates of uh, transmission. And uh, unfortunately, the crowded hospitals that lead to more deaths, we just hope we wouldn't see.
1: So, Ralph, I mean, claims of the young people here being used as guinea pigs for the Medigen vaccine and, of course, conspiracy theories around it.
0: Yeah, I don't think that the young people, from what I can tell, are being forced to get this vaccine. They can do it if they want. They don't have to. So I figure if somebody wants to come forward and do it, they're not really a guinea pig, no matter what you say, because they're volunteering to do it. They could wait or they could get a different vaccine. So as far as I know, it's still a choice that's one thing. Um, on another level, if you do need to test it on a human population and it is your locally grown vaccine, it's too early for export, then who can you test it on at that level? Once it passes your clinical tests and all that, your lab tests, like, well, what's the next step? You probably don't want to be testing it on in your 80 year olds uh, because there's just clearly more risk at that age group. So, you know, um, I don't. I doubt there's a conspiracy theory. Although I would think that whenever you have something new um, like this, especially in the COVID realm, that you're always going to get people wagging their fingers and saying, "Oh wait, you know what's going on?" And are you sure about this? And there could be some some just basic paranoia. There's a lot of paranoia these last couple of years. A lot of false information going around. It's not only Taiwan, so you have that element as well as perhaps a political dimension. It's just, if people want to take on the ruling party, then they're going to use whatever they can. This is the latest thing.
1: And of course, President Tsai Ing-wen, Ralph, gets her jab next Monday. Do you think that will boost sort of like people going and their trust in the Medigen vaccine?
0: Um, I think it's more symbolic, I and mean, this kind of thing politicians have always, you know, made a made a point of being visible when they when they get treated for things or when they get vaccinated. It's not a new phenomenon among government officials in democracies and so forth. I... I do think it shows that the government's, you know, proud of its its vaccine, that they want not only their own uh, population to know about it, but perhaps people in other countries in case um, the government wants to export it someday or at least show the rest of the world that they, you know, they're, you know, on top of the virus and they, they have some plans to do it on their own without depending on international support. It will definitely... If it takes off and works out, it should definitely impress the Taiwanese population after a very difficult May, June, July in trying to combat the the worst of the pandemic so far in Taiwan.
1: And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps, and we talked about the new round of stimulus vouchers last week, but there's been some new news about them since then, that being the Cabinet saying that the vouchers will not require any upfront payment, meaning that the 5,000 NT total in vouchers per person will be issued to everybody resident free of charge now according to cabinet spokesman Law Bing Jung the decision to scrap the upfront payment was made after Premier Su Jung Chung met with 45 DPP lawmakers and Law went on to say that the cabinet is also taking into consideration other recommendations by the lawmakers in its rollout of the new stimulus vouchers he also said that more details concerning the vouchers will be announced in the coming days. But DPP caucus group Kern Jeng Min, who was at the meeting, has said the exact date for the launch vouchers has not been decided, but it's still likely to be in early October. So, free vouchers for all or nearly all, because there's a question about who's going to get them. But of course, Other arguments are saying that, well, maybe they're not so free, as today's China Times front-page story screamed at the cost of issuing and publishing and presenting the vouchers and also printing them will come in at a whopping 2.2 billion NT, Angelica. So vouchers free for everybody, but of course the government does pay, so... Do you think the China Times had a point when it said maybe cash will be better and maybe the government could save the 2.2 billion NT and put it to good use actually helping people who are suffering financially because of the coronavirus outbreak?
2: Well, the think, Gavin, 2.2 billion NT sounds like an absolute huge sum until you do the math and find out that it works out to, I don't know, like 60 NT per um, set of vouchers per citizen and then all of a sudden it doesn't seem so bad yes you do have administrative costs for a program like the um, stimulus vouchers but there's also an economic reason of doing it that way versus just get giving everybody money I don't know if you notice Gavin the Taiwanese are a very thrifty people And if you give them 5,000 NT, the most likely thing that is going to happen is that it's going to go straight into their bank account. This is what the original triple stimulus voucher was designed to avoid, and the current vouchers are just the tweaked and expanded version of that triple stimulus voucher. Um, The goal is to get the economy going again, therefore that money... Must be spent the voucher system ensures that it will be spent rather than banked by making sure that it is it, it's good as cash but only for a limited amount of time so that is making sure that it is in the going in the economy and I think um, that is going to do the job of kick-starting Taiwan's um, hurting retail and food and beverage sector. And the administrative cost is a total red herring. Sounds like a big number. Actually, in the great scheme of things, very reasonable.
1: But, of course, another argument in today's China Times is the fact that vouchers you can use once. So they spend the money producing these vouchers. And then, of course, what happens to them? They get thrown away as opposed to basically giving cash out where, of course, cash remains in circulation.
2: Um. Now, I don't know about this round of a stimulus vouchers. For the last round of triple stimulus vouchers, um, the vouchers can actually be reused again within the system. Um, therefore, so for instance, if I use my vouchers um, to buy something at a small restaurant, the small restaurant owner can go ahead and use that voucher again until um, if somebody decides to uh, bank it and redeem it. Um, I think basically, again, a non-issue. The most important thing that the government, uh, well, uh, the most important flaw uh, for the voucher program is not the administrative cost, which is quite low. It's not the fact that have separate vouchers, which is necessary to concentrate the stimulus effect to the time period where we need a stimulus. The problem is the government has not done enough uh, the original triple stimulus voucher was just about the perfect program, about the right size for last year because Taiwan was barely touched uh, by the coronavirus uh, epidemic. Um, there were some initial cases, but very soon life returned to normal. This outbreak is different. It's much more serious. And there's a lot of small businesses that are on the brink that needs serious help. And I don't see the Um, stimulus vouchers this round as being enough to help those uh, micro-businesses that um, don't count for much in terms of GDP but are keeping a lot of Taiwanese families alive.
0: Yeah, I'd like to echo Angelica's last point. I think from from sometime in May, the operators of the restaurants and the bars and the cinemas and the pools and so forth were able to qualify for a separate program by proving that their income had fallen below whatever they earned before May 15th and Level 3 picked up. But I don't know if that money went to their employees in the same way. uh, It might depend on how the the operator decided to distribute the stimulus, if, if, if that's what you want to call it. So in other words, the stimulus that's being talked about now should definitely go to the employees, the people who are who are on the line, the waiters and waitresses and the, the ticket vendors in the cinemas, the barkeepers and all that, those are the ones they're already making a lot less money than, than their peers in, the, in white collar jobs, especially in the tech sector. So let's make sure they get some money. I think that any government out there, you can look around the world at all these stimulus packages and they're all there's always an administrative cost, there's always a hit to the government budget. And governments that plan their finances well over the years, like Singapore being a really good example, they know how to absorb it. Um, And I suspect Taiwan is going to be on the side of the divide where they do know how to, to, to absorb it. Taiwan has a pretty good rate of savings as a government, so they will probably be able to get by without cutting deep into some other program, which is the obvious risk.
1: And Ralph, what about the decision to make these these this round of stimulus vouchers free instead of paying one thousand NT like you did last time?
0: Free, and in terms of you can just get it. Just yeah, yeah. By
1: existing. Yeah, if you're a resident now, the government are going to say you can just get them. You have because the last round you paid a thousand NT and you got the and you got the vouchers. This round it's just going to be five thousand NT in vouchers for free for everybody.
0: Yeah, in in, in the context of the. You know the latest episode of COVID in Taiwan. We do need that. It just it's, as Angelica pointed out, this last go around was, was much, much worse than at the very the beginning of 2020, which was like the second worst. It was so small; it wasn't even like a first wave in that in that general sense. So, whatever the government can do differently to be more generous, to be more liberal, to be more simple about it, will go a long way. And I would hope that they do that.
1: And moving away from the coronavirus now and moving on to the KMT, which wrapped up the registration process for its September the 25th chairmanship election on Tuesday of this week. Now, former New Taipei City Mayor Eric ju was the sole candidate to register on Monday, while incumbent KMT chairman Johnny Jung registered for the chairmanship election on Tuesday. And also on Tuesday, Jung ya Jong, the president of the NGO Sun Yat-sen School and former Jianghua County Magistrate Jo bo also registered to compete in the party chairmanship election. But, of course, predicted that anyway. But, of course, Angelica, it was who didn't register or even utter a single word about it, which is what brought most of the conversation. So, where was Hang-Guo Yu? Of course, big talk that he was going to run. Do you think there was never any chance of that, or do you think maybe he thought about it and decided not to?
2: i really have no idea what's going on uh, the whole hangover phenomenon is such an odd one he came out out of relatively nowhere um became a star and his star has just been falling ever since uh he even got um rejected out out of his old job as um mayor so i'm i'm guessing that there are um no going back to him as a hope for the future.
1: But, I mean, there was talk of him running in the election, but he just didn't didn't turn up.
2: Yeah, yep. Yeah. I, 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 he, he feels kind of over to me. I don't keep um, a very, very close eye on the KMT. Um, but it, 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 I feel like they never really, truly, truly um, accepted him as one of their own in terms of um, the uh, inner circle of the party. Um, of course, he was popular, and uh, they, they like that, but now that he's no longer popular, I, I don't think they really consider him um, that kind of true blue. They don't really like it cut of his jib in that way.
1: And, Ralph, so it's basically a two-horse race with the Camden Chairmanship, Johnny Jung and Eric Jew.
0: Yeah, I you know, and these are these these are old names. These are people who have been in and around the party for a long, long time, and they're no mystery to anybody living in Taiwan paying any attention to the political scene there. And I'm afraid it doesn't really make much difference who wins. That party has just got to, you know, do more than elect certain people to do anything to stand up in the future. They've got problems with. Um, With uh, the trust of the public, with the the generation gap between the the operators and the the population they serve or or hope to serve, I I suppose a good chairman will be instrumental in in taking care of local elections next year. The KMT probably has a better chance of winning some seats at the magistrate and mayoral level in some of the counties where where they're so popular. Um, at the at the national level, it's going to be very, very tough. And I don't see either of these two gentlemen doing much to turn the party around and, and giving it the, the, the injections that it needs to, to do better in the 2024 race. Yeah, I think it's just because, you know, Eric Ju had a chance. He was supposed to be helping Han Goyu, and look what happened to Han Goyu. I think Angelica told the story of his fall pretty well. And then uh, Johnny Jiang has been around of course, you know, more recently and um, in the leadership role. So what is he gonna do differently that he hasn't done already? I don't I don't see much happening.
1: And before we go, this week, local political chat show host and pundit Clara Joe announced that she'd heard information that Taipei Mayor Kerwin Zhou is considering running for mayor of Gaoshung in next year's local elections. So of course, when the TV pundits weren't spouting on about Taiwan becoming the next Afghanistan this week, they were pontificating about Kerwin Zhou in Gaoshung, Angelica. So do you think this is a possibility or do you think it's just Mr. Kerr saying something? offhand that got picked up and it could be just a little <coughs> bunko.
2: I have no idea. I thought Cohen was in it for the big job of um, uh, president and um, I or, or trying to get there somehow um, but his star also hasn't been shining too brightly of late. He's got his um, 4% of supporters uh, for his uh, um, Taiwan People's Party But um, yeah, I I really don't know. He's um, uh, the public perception of him and his competence um, has really taken a beating in his second term, and um, I don't know if he's going to do that well in Kaohsiung, even if that is what he decides
1: to do. Do you think he, Angelica? Do you think he could possibly be doing this to maybe promote his TPP party, Taiwan People's Party, in the south?
2: Sure, I guess. I just, uh, the, the, his party just has such a, such a low ceiling, and they are reliant on him to be their star. I've actually read their platform, and I think it's a very good platform. And in terms of what they're trying to do in transcending partisanship, um, I'm all for it. I just can't warm up to the guy himself, Ke wen He's been a one-man gas machine and um, he hasn't really done the work that he said he was going to do to um, keep Taipei safe um, in terms of the latest coronavirus uh, epidemic. So I would say he's um, off to try his chances, and um, I don't think
1: they're good. And Ralph, Kerwin runs for mayor of Kaohsiung. Possibility, not possibility. If it's a possibility, will he do well or will he not do so well? Well, if
0: you were to ask him, I suppose he'd come up with something really prophetic, like, oh, when I decide, I'll let you know. So that's, oh. a, that's a scratch. <laughs> In terms of whether he would do it anyway and why he would do it, I think it kind of goes to his ambitions, if there are any, to run for president. And he's, he's, a, he's a bit of a Taipei person, of course, because that's where he's the mayor, um, so he, to get some appeal in the South, it would make sense for him to run in Kaohsiung and build up some name recognition there. And whether he's going to do it for the benefit of his party, I kind of doubt it. I, I think it's still like most small parties. It's just small. This one's different only because it's led by somebody who's fairly iconic, kind of like Li Donghui and the, the the TSU party. It's one of those relationships, and the party never really went very far in spite of the Dungway's support for it. And I think that's what's going to happen to his party as well. So it might help him if he's going to do it, if he can get a north and south basis of support. But I don't think it's going to do much for his party. In terms of what he does for gauss probably not much more than he's done for Taipei. And like Angelica says, I don't know what that is. I don't know what he's done. <clears throat>
1: Anyway, we'll leave it here, there, right there. In fact, on Taiwan This Week, This Week, and I'm joined today by Angelica Ong of the Taipei Times. Thanks very much for having me, Gavin. And Taipei-based freelance journalist who happens to be just outside of Oakland, near San Francisco at the moment, Ralph Jennings.
0: Thanks, Gavin.
1: And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows.